From Albuquerque, New Mexico, it's the City on the Edge podcast with Ty and Mike. Hey there, I know it's been a while. Uh, this is kind of a bonus episode while we work very hard on the uh, the next season, if you will, of City on the Edge, which is going to be coming up pretty soon. But uh, this is just some kind of unfinished business about Sandia Cave. Mike had written a piece, so we thought we would go ahead and share it with you guys. Um, enjoy! Okay, so uh, this is our... Um, so it, it turns out mm-hmm. Mike has also written about Sandia Cave, and you have a piece you want to kind of set that up for us? <clears throat> yes. So this is... I just call it the definitive thing ever written about Sandia Cave. I mean, Ty's is good. <laughs> Ty's is pretty good. But okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Ty's, Ty's, Ty's is the meat here. This is the little uh, after-dinner mint. Um, and it's actually... <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm the meat, you're the mint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I might edit that part out. I don't yeah, know. Okay. <laughs> it makes me feel funny. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like a metaphor. I'm not talking about tie. I'm talking about the pieces. Okay, should we start over? <laughs> no, no, carry on. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay. your so, minty, minty fresh take. Okay, all right. So I wrote this piece for East Mountain Living uh, a few months ago. It's called The Darkness at the End of the Tunnel. Okay. And here it is. The Darkness at the End of the Tunnel. The road up to Sandia Crest winds up that tilted mountain along walls of rock and slopes of pine on one side and the immensity of space and sky and the world falling away on the other. The feeling there is one of openness, and then, if you choose to turn right at Balsam Glade, it's not. Suddenly trees ensconce the road. Suddenly the road becomes dirt. Suddenly the road becomes almost a tunnel, illuminated only by whatever light can filter down through the trees. This is Las Huertas Canyon Road. This is where the Ellis family homesteaded in 1893. This is where locals once talked of strange lights and mysterious presences. This is where Native American hunters, Mexican herders, and white miners have all breathed and walked and searched for something. This is a creek world, a tree world, a stone world, a shadow world. It's a place apart, a quieter place, a wilder place. And it's a road that, if you follow, will lead you even deeper into the heart of everything. Follow it, move through it, park near signs for Sandia Cave, walk a dirt trail, walk metal stairs, and then prepare to descend into the earth itself. About 80 feet up a limestone canyon's wall, Sandia Cave hangs like the keyhole of a door, a door that hides a mystery, unending mysteries. The cave's entrance has been scratched and painted with decades of graffiti. The ground is a fine dust that travels home with the cave's every visitor. A low brick wall partially seals off most of the tunnel, but you can climb over it and the cave narrows and twists and descends back and back and back, almost 500 feet. There are your hands in front of you bleached white by artificial light. There is the unnaturally twilight rock. There, if you turn off your light, is complete darkness, complete silence, the smell of water, the taste of dust. In the late 1920s, the claw of a ground sloth was discovered here, and this excited the interest of Frank Hibben, an eccentric archaeologist then affiliated with the University of New Mexico. 
Hibben was a character straight out of a movie. He was a world-traveling big-game hunter whose house, which is still somewhat preserved in Albuquerque, is filled with literally hundreds of taxidermied animals and animal heads. Wherever you are in it, glass eyes stare out at you. Hibben allegedly performed secret tasks around the world for various U.S. espionage groups, explored everywhere, and dug everywhere. He authored eight books and many articles, had a TV show on ABC, Frank Hibben on Safari, was a popular lecturer and teacher, and is remembered as a charismatic force of a person, a sort of real-life, pith-helmet-clad Indiana Jones. Hibben, in the 1930s, an undergraduate anthropology student, staked out Sandia Cave for study and soon began to announce amazing finds. The floor of the cave, he said, had sealed in thousands of years' worth of artifacts, all perfectly preserved in intact layers of sediment. There were stone spear points, bison bones, camel bones, mammoth bones, horse bones, and mastodon bones. There were artifacts that seemed to date back 25,000 years, making Sandia Cave the oldest known site of human habitation in the U.S. Hibben published a paper about his apparent discoveries in 1941, and both he and this newly emerging story became famous. Unfortunately, Hibben's claims have since proven highly controversial. And Sandia Cave should now perhaps be better known not as the oldest known site of human habitation, but as the site of one of modern archaeology's biggest hoaxes. Many people Hibben worked with, and many subsequent researchers, have since cast doubts on nearly all of the alleged artifacts that Hibben almost magically produced from the cave. The spear points were all too intact. There were almost no chips or fragments that would have resulted from the making of such items. The levels of sediment were far more disturbed and mixed than Hibben had indicated, and many of the animal bones and teeth he recorded appear to have come from wildly different sites. One mammoth tooth even had a sticker on it bearing the name of another dig. All that and a student reported that one night he found a number of samples allegedly taken from the cave had been mysteriously sprinkled with yellow pollen to make them look more like Sandia Cave artifacts when there had been no pollen at all on them before. Douglas Preston wrote a wonderfully in-depth article on all of this for the June 12, 1995 New Yorker, The Mystery of Sandia Cave. Read it if you'd like to explore the subject further. It really does appear that Hibben salted the site, or that if he didn't, he was a terrible archaeologist, sloppy, lazy, inexact, and disorganized. In general, Hibben had a reputation for stretching the truth, and perhaps for being more of a celebrity dilettante than a serious archaeologist. Later, in the 1970s, Hibben excavated a site in Chinitna Bay, Alaska, claiming to find Folsom points, spear points dating back 12,000 years, old hearths, flint chips, and mammoth bones. But when another group excitedly made a trip to confirm these findings, they were shocked to discover no evidence whatsoever for any of Hibben's claims. Hibben had apparently made all of it up, offering only feeble apologetics and denials as justification. And so, Sandia Cave may not have had anyone camping in it 25,000 years ago, or 12,000 years ago. Its mystery may not be the mystery Frank Hibben described, but today when you stand in that cave and look out, or when you sit in blackness in its furthest reaches, you can see why Hibben would have wanted such things to be true could have felt such things to be true. It does feel timeless. You do feel connected to the past. And there is still the mystery of water trickling down through stone. And there is still the mystery of time, this ocean of time that came before us, an ocean that had to have been filled with something. Nice. Thanks. I like that it, uh, so you talk, you talk more about the, um, the canyon and the surrounding area and it feels like it gives a little bit more context in oh, a thanks. way. Thanks. Um, I'm. I'm telling. I think. I think you could make it a mainstream national book. I mean, like you know, sure. I really I do. So it's too. such a fascinating story, Dibs. dude. It's, please, <laughs> please write this book so I don't have to. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to ask you about was the. Um, I got Carl Taylor though. Yeah, no, right, Carl right, Taylor is right, all yours. All, right. all yours. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. Write another one. Oh, my my book would be different. Yours would be different. Um, 
One thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, the lights, the strange lights oh, yeah. in Los Huertos Canyon, according oh, yeah. to the Ellis family. Definitely that? a side story, but yeah, Charlotte Ellis, man, what a fascinating person. She needs a biography someday. She, uh, the, one of the first families to homestead in the Sandias was the Ellis family. They moved up there in the 1890s. The dad was a Civil War veteran. Oh. I, f- I forget the details. They lived in a tent for a long while, and then they built this this homestead, which um, um, was beautiful and was later burned down by an environmental arsonist, which I hate to say because I yeah. love environmentalists and I want them to succeed and I like their mission, but this was like kind of like an Earth First type crowd. Why that, would you burn down a historic homestead? Oh, with this a priceless library inside it, too. I mean, it had all the old books from the 1800s oh. and 1900s, like an amazing library. Like I mean, a ski it, resort, I get. Yeah. You know, or well, it was because it was one of the last pieces of private property in the Sandias. Oh. And, and the Sandias were like, yeah, you know, kind of you know, mostly national forests and so on. Oh, okay. But, I mean, it was an incredibly misguided person. Yeah. I, it just, it makes me really sad. But, so anyway, Charlotte Ellis, she was the first person to ski in the Sandias. There's a mm-hmm. photo of her with wooden skis on her feet that her nice. brother made her. There's, um, her, one of her brothers killed the last grizzly bear in the Sandias. That's huh. not cool. S-O-B, I don't like that. Man. I don't like that part. <laughs> the but, uh, last grizzly bear. I know. Yeah. Can you imagine grizzly bears in the Sandias? Oh, Mountains it's such a crazy thought. I mean, it would be terrifying yeah. in some yeah. ways. But. <laughs> but, but she wrote a really wonderful journal. And she was a botanist. And she was obsessed with collecting plant samples all throughout the Sandias. And yeah. many there are many uh, plants in the Sandias that have her name somewhere in the Latin mm. taxonomy of them. And... Um, and uh, she was just so cool. And, and she kept this wonderful journal. Um, and her family was interesting, too. Paul Ellis was her little brother, I believe his name was. Really interesting guy, too. I have a picture of him in, like, a little, like, white nightgown. You know, one of those unisex nightgowns. He's standing in La Suertes Creek in the yeah. 1890s. And, uh, but so she kept this journal of just how hard it was to live up in the mountains. Like, there was nothing up there. Like, she yeah. talked about, like, this what, one time she just really wanted some red thread to sew with. And uh, just like it was like this week long ordeal to go to town and get this stuff, you know, if the weather was bad, it was, you know, a lot of work. Where where can where, oh, where are these journals? Are oh, they're in the Center like for Southwest that? Research at UNM. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We do check them out. Yeah, do check them out. Yeah, we should uh, do a, a copy of them anyway. Is I think the original yeah. is in the in the hands of someone in Denver. She has a okay. like a uh, family member um, who's who's held on to them. Um, but so she writes about strange lights and devils and things like that living up in the hills devils? and the canyons. Yeah. And she said something that I quote in another article that the the scariest thing of all is the rancher MS Otero. <laughs> like he's the guy who ended up destroying the ghost town of Tijon. We should do an episode on that sometime. I have oh, an article I on it. This, yeah. yeah, he he co founded the state fair, but he was a politically connected um, son of a congressperson and a congressperson himself. And uh, he really like did a lot a lot of uh, Damage and was a sort of um, like had a mini little capitalist oligarchy. Mm-hmm. Anytime I hear people praise the founders of the State Fair, I think of him and I think like, not that guy. <laughs> it's awful. But but um, but yeah, you know, she reported strange lights and things like that. And so did a lot of people in Placidus. If you ever read Lou Sage Batchin's book about which collects, it's a WPA collection of the oral history of Plac- right. the Placidus area. Um, they talk a lot about strange lights too and things like that. In in. Kind of in that same area. And uh, but, I know there's one of the ghost stories. I think we talked about yeah. this maybe very briefly at the beginning uh, of our first podcast. At the end of Manal, 
Oh, uh, there's a hill. Right. And supposedly there's a strange lights that flew oh, yeah. up and down at times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that. I've and they're seen. called the planes from Kirtland Air Force Base. <laughs> they're called kids messing around with flashlights. Yeah. <laughs> also, homeless people camp back there, which is all kind of scary. It's oh man, dude. It's for different reasons. Seriously. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and, and honestly, you can like. If you care to, you can debunk some of those strange lights just by reading the accounts of them. Like in the Loose Age Batchin book, for instance, some of the lights travel in pairs and they only show up when you shine a light toward them. So it's like oh, obviously okay. like animals off in the trees. Right, right. You know, th- sure. there are some of those. Right. Some of them are more interesting. You know, uh, I wrote an article on like green fireball sightings in the Sandias once, okay. th- things like that. You know, um, you know, there's. Anytime you get a wild enough, rugged enough place, you're going to start to get stories. Well, and ball lightning's a thing. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. uh, In Scott Momaday, when he was at the Hamas Hamas Pueblo for a while, he said that, that he saw... Balls of, of fire floating around, and people said that they were witches. But I, I wonder if it might have been ball lightning. Oh, something. yeah, yeah, or, or witches. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, man, I can't. I'm, I'm haunted by this uh, Marilyn Robinson quote in the, her book Housekeeping. Have you read that? No, oh, I love that book, it's so good. Um, but she says, uh, A fact is not a refutation of a, of a mystery, a fact is a mystery. Like Ooh, once you have a fact, yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't ruin anything. Like it if just it's opens ball, up more. Really. If it's ball lightning, oh my god, how terrifying! Yeah. Really, a, <laughs> lightning can travel in balls. Yeah. <laughs> like what is it doing? <laughs> what what is that? How can we stop it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we must arm ourselves. We must build a wall against the lightning, <laughs> um, or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, so. The Ellis's are very interesting. Uh, Bob Cooper inherited that cabin. He was um, okay. a major source of mine. He used to live in Modesto Trio's house. Yeah. Um, and he's the grandson of Hugh Cooper, who um, founded Presbyterian Hospital. And he lives in the Ellis cabin now? Well, he's dead now, but he um, he lived in... Uh, he, he, he was very... He, he owned that cabin until it burned down. Okay. And he's still, oh. the, his family still owns that property. When did, the, when did it get burned down? I think it was in the 90s sometime. Oh jeez! Yeah, I know it's awful, man. And it's and it's a beautiful. I have photos of that cabin, and it's gorgeous. I mean, just yeah, an amazing property. Thing to do, yeah. It's such it's a crummy like thing a, to do. One I, of the McMansions on the man. I just like or something. It, it, I hate it when your sympathies lie with a group and like they disappoint you in that way. Like you know, uh, just like like have some nuance in your yeah. in your approach, people. Come it's on, it's constant though. Uh, like it's like you know, human history is a part of the big story too. You know, I'm. I think it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it happens true. in Southern Utah all the time. You hear you hear that sort of thing happening, right, like right. some great little cabin getting burned down out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, yeah. and then it gets just gets replaced with like a crappy trailer. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know? they just burn, like, burn the ones that are already ugly. Down yeah, and you know, hope for the best. Yeah, well, burn, burn down actually, their cities. Come let's on. just don't don't burn anything down. That's our <laughs> official <I'm> stance. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm sitting on the end podcast. That, but, you know, yeah. if, oh, now I know what your podcast is really. Yeah, it's the arson show. So we're encouraging people to commit crimes. <laughs> well, you guys always talk about burning things. <laughs> we haven't advocated for murder yet, well, and I'm proud of that. That's tomorrow. That's something I'm proud of. <laughs> proud of us. Um, so that was episode nine B. Thanks for your uh, your essay mm-hmm. on that, Mike. I uh, especially like the pieces about the um, the the glowing balls oh, floating over nice. the canyon. I like how you latch onto this one little thing in the setup, dude. <laughs> it's creepy as anything. Um, it is interesting. Yeah. It's, now, yeah, weird stuff. I mean, anytime you live out in a place remote enough, just weird things that you can't mm-hmm. explain because you don't have the the resources to explain it there. I mean, right. I used to live out in the desert in Arizona, and I would just see weird stuff all the time and be like, 
Well, I don't know what those flashing lights are. Yeah. You know, one night I heard the sounds, what sounded like gigantic horses just galloping through the desert. Like, they sounded <laughs> huge. And I went out and looked around, and I kept hearing them, and they were echoing around the desert, and I couldn't see horses anywhere. That's... And these sounded huger than anyway. And I was like, well, I guess I'll never, ever explain that. <laughs> you know? It's there just... are mysterious things out <laughs> there in the hills, my friend. It's my just friend. so weird. And Maybe... Speaking of mysterious things, oh man! Let's talk about some uh, some announcements we have coming up. Um, we've got some events coming up okay. in the near future here. Okay. In May. Okay. Right around May sixth, tentatively. Mm-hmm. Double check before you go. Yeah. But we are going to have a an official city on the edge showing of Track of the Moon Beast, the terrible, terrible film made here in Albuquerque mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy one. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be on the big screen yeah. at last. So bad it's something you need to see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say so bad it's good, but so bad that it is a phenomenon that needs seen and remarked upon. And we're going to have yeah. uh, some some exciting special guests who I can't really talk about yet because not everything's yeah. totally firmed up. Yeah. We're going to have a performance, a live musical performance of California Lady. Yes. California Lady. <laughs> Um, so that's May 6th. Mark your calendars. It's probably going to be 1030 or so, like a midnight movie kind of deal. You guys, this is going to be fun. This is going to be an Albuquerque event. I've been to a I few events so, yeah. in the Guild before where I just felt like, man, this is my city. This yeah, is my yeah, city. Absolutely. Bryce, uh, Bryce Hample's uh, Rainbow release, he did this wonderful multimedia music release. I just remember looking around and being like, this is the weirdo freak crowd that makes me love this town right here. You know, This is going to be one of those things. We're going to have a great... Bunch of like diehard locals with great sensibilities coming out for this thing. It's going to be a blast. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have so much fun, man. This is gonna be great. I think so too. Yeah. And and then in June, um, although we haven't settled on a date yet, we're going to do a live performance of the podcast, a live recording of the podcast mm-hmm. from at, inside your house upstairs. <laughs> yes. Just send us your address. <laughs> we'll come to your house and record it. The podcast is coming from inside the house. <laughs> That's a good name for a podcast. Oh, it kind of like is. A, if you were going to do like a ghost story podcast, oh yeah, or something. that's a good idea. Um, anyway, huh. all right, you can what have. I going to say <laughs> my my gift to you. Oh yeah, so we're going to have a live performance. Uh, we don't exactly know what that means, but at both of these events, we're going to be uh, charging a fee. However. Patreon members will get in for a substantial discount. Yeah. Now I Free see if we can figure that out, but who knows? Well, yeah, yeah. we can't make that promise. Okay, yet. we can't make that promise. Uh, maybe Give us summer. money. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> sadly, we're, we, we are not the only ones who... Uh, yeah, the theater's got a um, profit yeah, from exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, this might be a good time to talk about what a Patreon account is. Yeah. Mike, what's a Patreon account? Do you it's know? like a rare thimble from Bolivia. Hmm. That's... I had a... I, I kind of thought it might be a different thing. Oh, uh, oh what is it? <laughs> a oh, Patreon it's... account. It's 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 a way that you, the listener, uh-huh. can support a podcast that you listen to and enjoy on a regular basis. Man, and like connect with uh, your favorite like that sounds like a great thing. Content. You should make creators. that a real website. You just dreamed this up. This is like an idea you had. <laughs> this is a real thing. It's a real already. thing. Yes. People and can really fact, go and donate to our podcast if through you're, their Patreon uh, account. Listening to this right now, and you're right by a uh, <laughs> a computer. You can go to www. That stands for World Wide Web. World Wide Web. Patreon. P a t r e o n. dot com. Front slash city on the edge. Yeah. All one word, city on the edge. You go there and you can pledge to support us because yeah. you like us so much. Um, yeah. And that involves uh, you can either give a, a one time dollar amount, and then, hmm. like literally, it hmm. could be a dollar. Okay. Um, and that's fantastic if you that's, could do that. That's a cool thing. Or right. say uh, you want to. Um, 
kind of be a, a patron like in the old days, you know, like you can envision yourself as some sort of uh, gargantuan Italian power broker in, in Geneva or something uh, like that. I've always wanted like an evil benefactor like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, or, yeah, maybe not um, evil. You know, <laughs> and we are your, your Michelangelo's. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Please be, can, our, be our Medici family. Exactly. And you'd yeah. be like, I, yeah. you know, Gabriel yeah. Medici, I will give... Twenty-five dollars yeah. per podcast episode. Didn't, didn't you say off. someone had already donated? Like, yeah, who, we already who, have a donation. What's her name? Her, uh, it's a it's said? a five dollars per podcast donation. What? Yeah, and uh, let's uh, what's let's her go name? ahead and thank thank our first donator, Julie B. Julie B. Do could that B name? stand for Bannerman? Do you think it could? Do you think that's maybe your mom? It, it, you know, it could be, it could be, it could be my mother. That's fine. Family members can donate too. It's yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, look, it is Julie better. Well, that's Whoa. Just a well, at any rate. Well, you know, mom. everyone's got to start somewhere and that's <laughs> exactly. pretty nice. That's exactly. Like, but let me tell you yeah. what, what Julie B, which might be Bannerman. Oh yeah. We don't know. I jumped to conclusions. We don't know. I suggested that she yeah. do it and showed her how to enter the credit card information sure, and, sure. and, and then, uh, and then push the button to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, but she could have canceled it, yeah. you know, so okay. I don't know. This could be a totally different oh, person. So should we, since this is, we're wrapping up, uh, the end of nine B here, but yeah, people, I think people could, will do this, right? Well, I mean, I'm going to say, I've donated a podcast that I like before. Tell you what, right now, Julie, Julie B, yeah. uh, is, uh, now going to receive an on-air thank you each week oh, that's awesome. for her $5 donation. And, wow. Uh, probably after about a month or so, a City on the Edge t-shirt that she can what? proudly we wear all over town right. and show her love for this podcast that right. loves Albuquerque right. and right. loves everything about right. the people who live here. Right. So. And we're not going to always be talking about this, only until we have all the money. Once we have all the money that there is, <laughs> exactly. we'll totally shut up. You know? And now I, I saw you just look at me and you had a question in your eyes. You said, well, what if they pledge more than $5? Now, you can pledge only $1 per episode, right. and that's fantastic. And we'll all thank right. you. Right. Um, and it's a very sincere thank you. Sure. But you could pledge $5. You could pledge $10. You know what you get if you get uh, if you pledge $10? Uh, some T-shirt. sort of T-shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah. On-air thank you. Hmm. A sticker packet. What? We were, really? And, we're doing yeah. all this stuff? Okay. And this is what I think is, is okay, a great right. idea. We will take your favorite story, like pre-recorded right, story, right. and you can have a signed bound copy of that, like absolutely limited edition. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Huh. I think it's great. Alrighty. All right. Now, let's say you're a, a big, fat, fat cat, right? Right, right. And, you know, and Financial as one speaking. of those, you're one who has struggled in your life and you... Uh, um, wish to uh, give back. You wish to give back in a in a very serious way, and you want to give one million dollars. Yeah, if you donate a million dollars to the podcast, <laughs> like I'll clean your, I'll wash your car every day. Like seriously, every day. I mean, basically, you <laughs> just own us at that point. Wouldn't you like to own two human beings who know a fair amount about Albuquerque? <laughs> Anytime uh, <laughs> you want to have an entertaining conversation, you just come down and we will just like talk to you. You can wake me it. up in the middle of the night for a million cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have different levels of donation yeah. is the point. You yeah, can go yeah. to our, our Patreon account and you can check right. that out. And uh, For a billion dollars, we will help you build a spacecraft. Yeah, we exactly. will. We'll hire the engineers. We'll, we'll find the people. We'll pick an asteroid to colonize. For you know. <laughs> one trillion dollars, we will literally worship you as a god. Oh like, my god! And I don't mean in like a. We'll use some of that money to build a church to you. We'll yeah. build twenty churches. We will everywhere. Uh, we'll bring back whatever yeah. kind of sacrifice tradition yeah. you think would be yeah. um, would be uh, worthy. Oh, of your, I wish I had a trillion dollars just so I could donate to the show. It would be such a good a use god. of money. Literally, be a god. yeah. Um, well. For uh, <laughs> well, 
have like ten trillion dollars, we'll resurrect David Bowie. And he'll be a guest on our podcast with you. We'll, we'll commit scientists to the tasks of doing this. We can't guarantee that this will happen.